0: Hey everyone, wow, awesome music this morning, so good, so thankful for the, the musicians that have carried us through this whole year, um, it's been a strange year, but uh, I'm just so grateful for the production team, for uh, my council, uh, has been you know, grappling with some difficult things this year, so grateful for, for them. My staff, it's been a weird year for the staff, you know, they've had to kind of do things outside of their their norm, um, but I'm just so uh, thankful. You know, I was thinking that, you know, we can't change, there's a lot of things we can't change, right? I mean, it's just, it's a tough world yeah. to live in. Uh, we, I wish we could just snap our finger and make the... The pandemic go away and make this virus go away forever yeah. um, all the the strife all the difficulties just the afflictions of life yeah. i mean jesus pr- promised this that in the world what you'd have trouble yeah, tribulation. <laughs> right tribulation but what we do have is the presence of god if we're followers of jesus we have this wonderful promise that I think we sang about it, you know, just even though we go through the waters that God himself will hold us, he will hold us up. He will be with us in every season of life, in every moment of life. He'll be with us on the mountain and he'll be with us in the valley. I can't imagine not having that. It feels like life is hard enough um, to, to also add on top of all the afflictions of life, the absence of the presence of Jesus. That is hard to even comprehend. If you're listening to the sound of my voice, whether here or wherever you are on the planet, and you haven't yet come to Christ I urge you to do it. The invitation of the gospel is so clear in scripture. It's not God's will for any to perish. He wants all to come. He invites us and says, come all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The invitation of Jesus that was given 2,000 years ago is just as fresh today as it was then. Repent, turn. Repent just means turn. You're going in one direction of living on your own and and kind of doing things your own way, and that might include a lot of sin, and you're turning around. Repentance is just swinging around the other direction and looking toward God and saying, God, I need you. Um, I, I, I can't do this without you. I can't cleanse my own sins. I can't prepare myself to stand before the judgment one day. I can't do any of that. I need you. So if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I just invite you and do life with God, not without him. We weren't designed for isolation from God. We weren't designed to be uh, you know, alienated from God. Yeah, we were born that way and because of the fall and that's a whole long story and how sin came into the world, but we were created to know God and to love God and to enjoy God and to depend on God, to, to be satisfied by God. That is why God made us. If you are doing life apart from God, I plead with you to throw yourself this morning at the mercies of God, and you will find the riches of his mercy are available. Well, this morning I have, um, I think, a little shorter message. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I always say that, but then I'm like, oh, there's some other additional stuff. But the I don't have as many notes this morning as I usually do. I'm just talking about one verse. We're going to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, if you have a Bible, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, and we'll put it up on the the screen in a moment. Um, And for those who are brand new tuning in or or here with us this morning, we're going through the book of Ephesians. It's uh, simply a letter, a New Testament letter written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, to the uh, Christians who were in the city of Ephesus, not really a Jewish city at all. So a lot of uh, crazy stuff went down in Ephesus, very pagan city, very non-Christian city, non-religious city in certain ways. Um, so the Ephesian bunch was, uh, they, were, they were a little rough, a little rough around the, around the edges. So uh, Paul has a lot of Really important, weighty things to say to the Christians who are in Ephesus, and it's very, very relevant to us today, to our world today. So let's just get into it. I'll read this um, verse. It says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place But instead, there's always a redirection with the Lord, something better. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let there be no foolishness, filthy talk, or I'm sorry, filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, gratitude, thankfulness. Simple, right? Well, let's get into it. The apostle Apostle here mentions three kinds of talking that should not be engaged in. All right, so three things: filthy, foolish, and crude. It's important to understand, you know, the meanings of these words. So we're going to first kind of look into that, and then we'll talk about why we shouldn't talk like this. Just a little bit, though. I constantly press on our motivation, like we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, the great motivation of not grieving the Spirit. And I think uh, that's supreme. We want to please God in all things. But I also want to talk a little bit about how this new language of gratitude is formed in the heart. Like, how does this actually work? So let's get into it. Let's look at the word filthy first. So for some reason... um, the word filthy uh, just reminded me of, of childhood a little bit. I'd come home from playing in the neighborhood, you know, for hours, uh, maybe a football game in the rain, and I would be covered with mud, sort of bust into the house, famished and thirsty. And my mom, I could hear her voice say, Scott, stop. You're filthy. You're tracking mud everywhere. And then, you know, of course, I'd have to go out onto the porch and uh, get rid of the muddy shoes and muddy clothes before I could have my, my snack. But filth in this verse isn't referring to just outward dirt, you know, mud, but to our sexually unclean words that can sort of track spiritual filth everywhere we go in our interactions. Now, we dealt with sexual impurity in depth last Sunday. I'm not going to go there too much. But I believe that's exactly what the apostle is speaking about by saying this word, filthy. It's when men, for example, and I tend to pick on men a lot in this uh, particular topic, rightly Fitting, I think, but it's when men, for example, talk about women in ways that are disgusting. Talking about their body parts and what they would like to do. Uh, Filthy speech pops up frequently in TV and movies. It's everywhere. They take an aspect of sex and exploit it in some humorous way. This kind of filthy talking... It's not just, you know, Hollywood or the high school boys locker room, but it's, it's at the dinner table, maybe with relatives, or it's coming into a, a meeting you're having with your boss and, and some of your, your co-workers. It's found at a study group at college. It's a conversation that happens among roommates you live with who aren't Christian, or or maybe who are Christian. It even finds its way into a conversation we're having with someone like for the first time ever. Filthy speech. And as we discussed last week, as followers of Jesus, we believe sex is good And holy, and it was designed by the Creator to be a holy thing, a sacred thing shared between a man and a woman in covenant marriage. It shouldn't be cheapened. And Scripture emphasizes that much. I think that's why the sin of sexual impurity is talked about so much in Scripture, it's a relational sin. It's part of who we are. It's part of God's design. It shouldn't be trifled with or cheapened in any way. Well, it can be extremely challenging, to say the least, to be in a situation where something sexually inappropriate is spoken in humor, right? And we're there. If we join in the laughter, we... Grieve the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, and we essentially send a message to the people that we're with that there's nothing wrong with speaking like this. In fact, we're kind of saying by our reaction uh, that, that we kind of like this. But we also don't want to come off as self righteous, you know, holier than thou, and pull out a Bible and start. Firing scriptures at people to, you know, shoot them down and condemn them. Like, we we don't want to do that either, right? This this requires great wisdom, Uh, just being in the culture. Uh, Some of the jobs that you guys work at, I mean, it just requires wisdom to to just kind of function, to be in the world, but not of it, right? I can't tell you uh, exactly what to do in every situation because every situation is different. But I'd like to challenge you to use your imagination and think about how Jesus might respond. I mean, he was like the master at redirecting the conversation, right? Uh, I mean, sometimes he'd just give the straightforward rebuke to people. But often he would just shift things with great wisdom. May God give us that wisdom. Now let's look at this next word word a little bit, foolish, or the phrase foolish talk. Uh, The apostle here is telling us to avoid this kind of foolish talking. I'm not sure what comes to mind when you you hear that phrase. I think the problem with this uh, translation for us in 2020 is that the word foolish, is just, it's kind of a broad word, and I don't know, maybe it, triggers different things in, in different people that are even in this very room or listening this morning. I mean, for me, I just, I think of grade school. Uh, it seems like a lot of things make me think of childhood, but, uh, you know, I think, I think of grade school and how the boys, including me, would get scolded, uh, for example, in choir practice by the teacher for what? You know, for being foolish, for, for goofing around and not really paying attention. Or by the bus driver, if, you know, the boys were in the back of the bus getting too, uh, you know, horsing around and, and, and just too playful, we'd get uh, screamed at by, by the bus driver. But we might think of foolish talk as silly talk, you know, just being overly silly or just shallow joking, in that the scriptures condemn that. But listen, I think we need to go much, much deeper than that. So let me tell you what I don't think it means first, okay? I don't think it means that we should never engage in silly joking. And that all of our talking should be somber and serious. I actually believed that at one point in my walk with Jesus and I probably wasn't very fun to be around. <laughs> Proverbs tells us, this one little verse is such a gem, that laughter, I'm uh, quoting King James, I think, doeth good like a medicine. Yeah. That's how long that verse has been in my, in my heart. I love that verse. Yeah. Laughter is like, like therapy. It's like medicine. Anyone who has kids or has spent time with kids knows well that silly, playful, nonsensical conversations or stories are not only fun, but they're bonding. I had two daughters and they can probably, you know, they have memories of hundreds, probably thousands of ridiculous moments or stories told by me or sung by me. If you've been on a road trip in the car with people for 10 hours, come on, you may get a little slapstick. If you've been laboring for days, college students, pay attention, like studying for finals and are totally sleep-deprived, deprived, what, what happens? You just get, you say stupid things. You know, you'll have some pretty shallow, ridiculous exchanges with your friends. And all of this, listen, can be done in love. And I believe is actually a gift from God. Uh, just like parents love to hear their children laughing together, I believe God the Father enjoys hearing our good-hearted laughter. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, just this week, I was overly hungry and I think overworked at one point and picked up the banjitar. The band it's a combination of a banjo and a guitar that I really never play. It's like a decoration in one of our rooms. And I was just so hungry, I picked up the banjitar and started uh, playing a song to my wife and just you know, telling her how hungry I was in the song. And the song really got pretty out of control. And, uh, I mean, it just got out of control really fast and got really, like, creative and turned into just, like, an abstract instrumental with my mouth as my wife went from where she was working, kind of scurrying downstairs and away, as far away as she could get from the song. But I needed that in that moment. That was, like, such a release. And I'm sure my wife felt the same way. Right? Right? Maybe not. But to understand what the writer, to get a little bit serious for a moment, uh, meant by foolish talk, I think we need to go to to the book of Proverbs. Wow, does it give us a portrait of the fool. The fool is someone who doesn't believe there is a God. I think that's from the Psalms. The fool delights in airing his own opinions The fool boasts. The fool meddles and quarrels. The fool doesn't give thought to the future, but lives for the moment. The fool talks behind people's backs. The fool does not receive correction. The fool does not save money. The fool devises plans to do stupid things ungodly things. The fool doesn't realize that God is watching his or her every move. The fool does not fear God. The fool lacks wisdom. I could keep going, right? I mean, that's, I'm just touching the surface. There's so much in the book of Proverbs and even in the Bible as a whole about what it means to be a fool. So foolish talk is simply the talk that emerges from the heart of a moral fool. Obviously, we should not be talking like a fool, like a moral fool. Examples of foolish talk abound, right? I mean, you can just go anywhere, sit in a restaurant, listen. You know, just turn on the TV, go to YouTube, watch the latest Popular videos, I'm not really recommending that you do that, but listen to talk show radios, and you know, you'll you hear proud, arrogant, godless speech, grumbling, whining. You'll hear talking that is racially insensitive. You'll hear talking that is demeaning to people groups. You'll hear really stupid opinions that have no regard for God whatsoever. This is foolish talk. It's the way we talk when we leave God and God's laws out of the conversation. That's foolish talk. The apostle is telling us not to talk like that. The contrast, of course, would be to speak words of wisdom. As the book of James describes it like this, The wisdom from above that comes from God, in other words, the wisdom that comes from God and should, of course, dwell richly in the heart of a true believer. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial, and sincere. I mean, the word sincere is a little overused, but I think it means authentic, honest to the bone. So much more we could say about each of these words, but let's look at the let's look at the third word on this list: the word crude, 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 joking. The NIV translate it translates it uh, coarse. Joking. I believe he's uh, definitely referring to joking or jesting in sexually disgusting ways, but also like rude, demeaning ways. It includes the whole spectrum of sexual harassment in the workplace, or just when people say sexually vulgar things. I think, I don't know, out of shock effect or something like that. But it would also include more generally making fun of someone about their physical appearance. You know, maybe their weight or their hair or some feature that's different. You know, it's what kids do in junior high school. Mean kids. You know, when they would think, at least this is how it was in the 70s, maybe now they do it, you know, uh, uh, you know in uh, more subtle, cryptic ways uh, through social media or whatever. But in the 70s, people were very blunt and crude and politically incorrect and would just cut people down to their face and try to say the crudest meanest thing possible just to bring somebody low. Crude means raw, unrefined, unprocessed. So with language, it is talk that is unfiltered. It's hurtfully blunt. It may be true, actually, but it's Insensitive language that makes people feel stupid, ugly, insecure, insufficient, inferior, and so on. Crude language is often used by comedians, right? And it's hard to even listen to. You know, everybody's just laughing at the expense of some people group or some even particular individual. Uh, This is really messed up. One sentence, crude zingers are all over Twitter. We might think, okay, why is Paul telling Christians not to do this? I mean, this doesn't seem like something Christians would struggle with at all, right? But, but we do. But we do. I've, I've heard husbands say very crude, demeaning things about their wives in public. All in joking, of course, but, you know, usually about how they should uh, submit and, and serve them. You know, it's kind of funny, but not really funny. I mean, I thought I was funny in Bible college, and the other husbands, you know, young, cocky, arrogant, punk Bible school kids including myself in this, you know, who learned the Greek word for submit was hupotasso and thought it would be fun to just sometimes yell that word, uh, Greek word, to our wives. You know, we thought we were being funny, but, you know, looking back on it, it's like, no. It's not funny at all. I've heard preachers engage in crude joking from the pulpit Uh, making fun of overweight people, ethnic groups, gay people. I mean, just imitating people. It's messed up. I mean, on social media, come on, Christians are famous, or so-called Christians, for saying outrageously crude things to people who disagree with their views. I just want to say we should never be crude. You know, God help us to, to, to be... Truthful, but gentle. Right? Truthful, but tender. I think we have to kind of hold those two in balance. As Ephesians says in one other verse, it says speaking the truth in love. That's exactly what we're talking about. Jesus did that perfectly. Well... Again, we can say more about each of these words, but this verse not only tells us what kind of speech should be avoided, should be avoided filthy, foolish, or crude, but why it should be avoided. Um, the apostle doesn't expound too much on this, but just simply says that it's out of place. It just, it's not, it's not fitting at all. It's unfitting for men and women of God, which is who we are, right? If you think about it, I mean, that's what Ephesians 1 was all about, was our identity, who we are. We've been called out of the world, right? We've been, we've been saved. We've been lavished with the grace of God. God has put his hand upon our lives. He's made us new. He's made us a different kind of people. I uh, know the word Christian has become so watered down some places, even in our country, so uh, culturally just, it means nothing anymore. People check the box that they're Christian, but Christian from the Bible perspective, as the Bible defines it, is, a, is an awesome thing. We're representing God on the earth, not just ministers. If you're a Christian this morning, you're a minister, you're an ambassador of Jesus, representing him. And I could keep going. We are called to proclaim the excellencies of God. We are a holy nation. We are a righteous people. This is our identity as believers. And it's not fitting to speak filthy things ever. Ever. Foolish things, foolish talk, crude language, crass language. I think I mentioned this in an earlier sermon uh, in regards to just behavior in general, but uh, people who are maybe teachers, um, principals of schools, politicians, mean, certainly presidents, presidential candidates, pastors, church elders, leaders, police officers, People in positions of authority, especially where children are involved, are held, I think, to a higher standard of morality. And don't we kind of understand that? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I mean, this guy's the principal of the elementary school. I mean, And, you know, if, like, you came to pick up your child on, on the playground and the principal was just, like, going off, you know and harassing one of the teachers sexually, or was just like you know, spewing out all this crazy stuff and swearing. You'd be like, What is going on? This guy is like, This guy needs to get a different job. Like, you would be upset that, that he, he's even around kids, right? How much more of a standard do we have as the people of God who bear the name of Christ? Again, you know, culturally, we've just watered it down. It doesn't mean anything, but Scripture is where we look. You know, First Peter, some of you in small groups are studying First Peter, talks a lot about this, just like the, the awesomeness of bearing the name of God, of Christ. Just carrying that. That we don't do that in vain. We don't just do that like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, like a shallow thing. Yeah, I think, yeah, whatever. I just grew up a Christian. Like no, it's it's an awesome thing. We're bearing a holy and awesome name and we need to match our life, our lifestyle with what we're claiming to be. To say it simply, We should be like Jesus. We should be like him. Well, in this verse, Paul then directs us to what should be one of the great distinguishing marks of a Christian thankfulness. We're called to be overflowing with gratitude. It's kind of like a new language. You know, the old language of grumbling and swearing and gossiping and off-color joking, cutting others down, just being cantankerous. It just passes away progressively. And a new language of gratitude takes over. Like learning any new language, it takes time. I mean, I've heard when people start, learning a second language. I, I, don't, I only know one language. So, um, but I've heard that they still kind of think for quite some time in their, in their native language. Uh, but only after they are immersed in the new language for a length of time do they begin to speak and think in the new language. And it's the same with the language of gratitude. It, it takes time to fully form, not just on our lips, but also like in our hearts. As new Christians, our, our gratitude is a bit, it's a bit basic, I think. And if you're a new Christian, don't take this as, a, as an insult. It's just, we've all been there, you know, it just, it's, it has, we have to start somewhere. Um, but it, it, you know, it can be ecstatic, but a little, you know, a little, it only goes so far, a little shallow at first. Like I, when I first became a Christian, I was like, so excited but i really didn't understand a lot about the cross of jesus i didn't there was a lot that i didn't really get fully but it's kind of like the way children pray uh when they are first learning to pray and they're uh you know if you've seen kids do this it's adorable you know they they basically like thank god for everything that they can see within you know within like 10 feet right you know thank you Jesus for the superhero uh, plate and for mommy and daddy and for mashed potatoes and for uh, Hello Kitty sippy cups. It's, I mean, it's, it's adorable. But then five minutes later, they have like a total meltdown tantrum and act like the whole universe is against them. It's kind of funny when it happens, but, you know, it's not funny when people are adults and do that. But it's kind of, how we are a little bit as baby Christians, and we can all fall into babiness at times. So uh, this applies to all of us. But over time, I think what happens, how God begins to form our hearts. Over time, our gratitude develops layers of beautiful complexity. We're still thankful for basic stuff. It's okay to be thankful for tangibles. But we begin to understand the sacrifice of God on our behalf. That He stood in our place and took the punishment that we deserve. We begin to grasp how all of our sins have been wiped away the debt of our sin canceled completely forever. We grow in this thing we call blessed assurance that we know, that we know, that we know that if hit by a Mack truck, we are going to fall right into the arms of our Savior. We start to understand and anticipate the new city, Revelation 21 and 22, that there's going to be this this time when God makes all things new and there's no more sorrow and no more sickness and no more death and we shall see his face in all that Revelation 21 and 22 tells us. We begin to just... Tasted at times. And that gratitude and excitement kind of settles in us. We realize the treasure of being the friend of God. In contrast to at one time how we were at enmity with God. And the wrath of God was on us. We didn't even realize it. We were, you know, in a place where The sentence of hell was on our lives. We were dead in our sin. But now, and that's what Ephesians is all about, but but now this grace has come to us and now we're, we're friends with God. We're at peace with the one who made us. We come to grips with the lavishing grace of God in our daily lives. And the promise that he will never let us go. He'll provide everything we need. He cares for us. So this gratitude begins to, as I said, kind of develop layers of complexity. And it begins to emerge naturally from our hearts. From the overflow of our thought life. It's not that we don't have afflictions or complaints about our afflictions. Hopefully not too much to people, but to God at times, right? It's okay. He can handle our complaints. But a perspective of gratitude develops that overshadows all of the afflictions, these momentary afflictions, as the Bible calls them. Now, I believe this is a kind of a bonus thought here, but I believe that when we learn to, uh, you know, that we can learn to control out of discipline. Some of us are more disciplined than others, but we can kind of discipline our tongues pretty well and keep ourselves from saying stupid things somewhat. We can learn to, uh, you know, kind of think before speaking, prevent ourselves from saying anything too filthy or foolish or crass. But listen, I we got to go deeper with this because if we find ourselves frequently thinking and kind of almost moved to say something filthy or foolish or crude, it's a sign that something is not right in the heart. It, It shouldn't be that hard. You hear what I'm saying? Because why? Because When we become Christians, we we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive a new nature. We receive a new life. We receive new desires. We begin to, the Holy Spirit makes the kingdom of God open to us. As I was saying a few minutes ago, He begins to show us all of these different things that He's done for us. We begin to see the eternal vision of God. Gratitude should kind of start to flow naturally. Naturally. Something's off if it doesn't. The book of James puts it this way. No human being can tame the tongue. So true. Only God, right? Only that new life of God in the soul of man. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. But the same mouth, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Now listen to what he says. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? You know, for the kind of people that speak pure and wise and sweet When we're around church people, but then when we're around like other people, filthy stuff, foolish talk, crude, crass comes out. Something isn't right. Jesus taught, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. As human beings, our words flow naturally out of what we think. So the problem... It's not just that of outward language. We don't want to just, you know, okay, I'm going to discipline my tongue this week. I'm going to just try so hard. No, the, the answer to having a new language is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with God's love. Perfect. So what this means uh, practically this would be my kind of final thought here, is carving out ample time each week. Well, let me say this first, you know. If, it could mean practically for some of us that we need to become Christians. I think one of the, the great delusions of our modern-day American Christianity is just so many people who think that they're Christian, but aren't. It's a scary thing. Yeah. A cultural, you know, it's just a cultural thing. Well, you know, it's like, because oh, why are you a Christian? Because oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good, I'm a good guy. I'm a, I do good things, you know. I, I mean, I, I believe the Bible. I go to church. None of those things make you a Christian. God makes us Christian. Actually, we have to lean on Him. We have to throw ourselves upon His mercy and ask Him to, to do the work. We don't just decide today. I, you know what? I'm gonna, I think I'll do it. Yeah. I think I'll give God a try. No, that's not how it works. You, you have to wait on God and cry out to Him and call out to Him and, and come to Him. And then He, and even that comes from God, by the way. But then He does something. He puts His life in your soul. He puts his Holy Spirit within us. It's called regeneration in the Bible or new birth or being born again, born of God, born of the Holy Spirit. A new life is put inside of you. Some of you might be think you're Christian and find that the Christian life is just like so hard. Man, I feel like I can't overcome anything. Like this standard is so hard. Some people, you know, some people who think they're Christian hear strong messages, and they're like, okay, I can't do that. So what do they do? Instead of running to God, they just find a church that lowers the standard. They find a pastor who's not even a Christian. And so there's no probing. There's no high standard. There's no preaching on holiness. There's no, no dealing with the deep issues of sin. It's just all this watered down, just, you know, hey, try to be good. God is a good God. And this kind of fluffy thing. No, it's supposed to be impossible. Kind of like the, like James said, no man can tame the tongue. The whole Sermon on the Mount was designed by Jesus when he said things like, you know, we shouldn't even lust for a woman in our hearts. We shouldn't even be angry at people and speak things that call people fools. Like, we, even it's, the standard was so awesome and so high that nobody can do it. Which is exactly what Jesus was trying to create that desperation that we would come to him for new life and he would do the work in us. If I am meek and if I am compassionate and loving and kind and good and holy, it is because of my association and my union with Jesus. And that is the only reason. He is the one that makes us Holy and righteous. So some of you might think this is so hard. Listen, maybe you don't know Jesus yet. And it's okay. You wouldn't be the first person to go along and think that they're a Christian and you really aren't. And maybe some, some, you're just not sure. If you're not sure, get sure. This is like way too important to not be sure. I mean, you're like, I I think I am. Like, no, you, you should be sure. The Bible teaches that in the book of Ephesians, actually that we have this Holy Spirit as a deposit within us, guaranteeing what is to come. It's called the witness of the Spirit, that God's Holy Spirit bears witness, sort of testifies to our spirit, our human spirit, that we are the children of God. That's Romans chapter 8. You need that. If you haven't had that witness of the Spirit, I urge you to cry out to God until you get it. But you will find when the Spirit does renew and regenerate you that He gives you a new heart. He takes out the hard heart and puts in a heart of love. He puts the fear of God in you, and He moves you to obey Him. So what this means also, practically, is for some of us who are believers, is carving ample time each week to meditate on the Word of God, to worship, to read spiritual books, to maybe write in a journal, to listen to sermons, to fellowship with other believers, to pray, and I wish, you know, at 2,000 years removed from the early Bible days, right, uh, of, or the New Testament days, I should say, the early church, that we could offer some new sophisticated uh, method of being strong in God. But it's, just, it's the same old stuff. Read the Bible and talk to God. Like, get really good at those two things, and you'll be okay. There's no new way. There's no shortcut. This is how we become strong in God, by really focusing our minds on eternal things and on God himself. Paul puts it this way in his letter to the Philippians. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In the health world, they say, what, you are what you eat. There's some truth to that, right? Well, in the spiritual sense, we are what we we think. As a man thinks, so he is says the Proverbs. I think the problem sometimes with with us, even as genuine, born of the spirit Christians, is that we're feeding on way too much spiritual junk food, and we're not realizing how much it's affecting us. You know, social media and TV and movies and just stuff, reading stuff and news and, you know, talk radio shows and commercials and ads and stupid books and all the just so much stuff yeah I mean we got to pay attention to some of this but listen you're gonna be weak unless you steep in the word of God and in prayer there's no substitute for that so I exhort you this morning to go deep in God amen Amen. Thanks for listening. Well, let's stand together. We're going to end with some worship.